This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 994, A Conversation with Sean McKeever. Welcome to the Comic Shenanigans Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Chapman. This is episode 994. It's a conversation with Sean McKeever. This is actually Sean's second time on the Comic Shenanigans Podcast. We first had him back on on episode 604, which came out uh, back on August 28th, 2018. So if you want to, before you listen to this episode, I would recommend going back and checking that out. Uh, this is actually not just a conversation with Sean McKeever. It's also a, a spotlight or a creator commentary on Spider-Man Loves Mary Jane, with a little bit of gravity thrown in at the end. Uh, so we talk about uh, kind of the genesis of the Spider-Man Loves Mary Jane series, or I guess the Mary Jane series that came before it, the two miniseries, what it was like writing the book, uh, certain characters, uh, characterizations, character arcs, etc. So I had a lot of fun talking with Sean about his work on the series. It, it remains a high watermark in terms of uh, fun comics um, that were just, you know, there's something very pure and in, 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 not innocent, that's the wrong word, but just something very enjoyable and, and um, I don't know, just old school comics. There's something about those books that, um, you know, there's some action in it, there's some adventure, there's there's a lot of intrigue and soap opera soap opera elements, uh, but more than anything else, it just has a, a good feeling, a good vibe. It just you know, it's definitely um, you know a warm and fuzzy book. Where I want to kind of go back to something, and a big part of that, to be fair, is Takeshi. Uh, now I can't pronounce his last name, but uh, Takeshi is the uh, the co um, originator of that series with Sean McKeever. He actually uh, predated Sean on the book, but it's hard to imagine. Uh, the book without I mean obviously there was other artists as well but and actually later on there'd be another writer and artist team that worked on um, an, another season so to speak of Spider-Man Liz Mary Jane but there's just something about that initial pairing between Sean and Takeshi that really made that book sing um, and uh, yeah, it's just something so enjoyable about that book so go find the you know recent um, you know not quite regular trade paperback size uh, collections the what, GN slash uh, TP collections of Spider-Man Liz Mary Jane you will not be disappointed there's three volumes and you get all of it and there's this nice meaty chunks and i think it costs less than i think 45 dollars us for the entirety of all of this in the three different collections so i would definitely recommend you do so anyways thanks for listening to this episode i'll jump right into uh, the conversation in just one moment but first uh, i just want to say uh, we're almost over but if you do want to send me an email you can do so at comic shenanigans at gmail.com write the show on itunes or apple podcasts and listen to us on Stitcher. and again thank you so much for listening uh this is episode 994 uh, uh, we got six episodes left, and then it's all over. So thanks again for listening to the Comic Shenanigans podcast. Enjoy. Sean, welcome back to the Comic Shenanigans podcast. How are you today? I am doing great. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, we're coming up on episode 1,000, so it's just in time to get you back on the show to do a bit of a deep dive into Spider-Man Loves Mary Jane and Gravity. And for those who want to check out your first appearance on the show, that was way back on episode 604, which was back in August 2018. Nothing exciting has happened since then, though, right? Absolutely not. No, the world's the same. <laughs> it's, it is crazy. I've had a few interviews like this where we'll, we'll pick up, and it's been four or five years later, and suddenly we've had a, a major pandemic in the middle, etc. So, I mean, before we get into talking about your work, um, what have what has the last few years kind of been like for you um, in the pandemic, and are you doing okay? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm doing all right. I haven't gotten COVID, um, luckily. Um, you know, I'm, 
Um, but, uh, you know, life's been weird. <laughs> you know, um, there was about a year and a half there where, you know, I'm, I'm not really like a huge, hugely social person in, in general, but I do like to, you know, get together with friends and stuff and get out places to eat. And, you know, I've made friends at various restaurants that I go to and, and bartenders and such. Um, and I, you know, I really realized how much I missed those little interactions with, with those people in the service industry. Mm. Um, that really kind of helped me, helped carry me, you know, through the, the lack of, of going out with friends so often, you know. Um, but now it's kind of back to normal, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, not, not entirely. I don't, you know, we don't go out quite as much, but um, we do get together from time to time. And, each time is more meaningful i feel like yeah i mean it definitely made people kind of take stock of things in a different way right and you know people you don't see as often suddenly it's it's it means more when you do get to see them yep and we actually have stuff to talk about (laughs) that's true yeah now today we're talking about stuff that's you know uh i guess what 14 15 years old i'm trying to remember when spider-man loves mary jane first came out oh man well uh the first issue of mary jane came out in 2004 I think was it that far back oh my god yeah yeah because yeah because um, it was late 2005 when um, Spider-Man Loves Mary Jane started that's right and I guess that would have would have been an interesting period too right because weren't you working on you know Marvel Adventures Spider-Man Spider-Man Loves Mary Jane and Gravity all at the same time and other stuff yeah I had I think I had seven projects going at one point in 2005 that was that was a big banner year for me um, I won an Eisner Award that year as well in part due to Mary Jane mm-hmm. um, and I had let's see Gravity um, Marvel Adventures I was finishing up uh, Mary Jane Homecoming and starting Spider-Man Loves Mary Jane simultaneously um, I was writing for uh, the Crankshaft and Funky Winker Bean comic strips mm-hmm. and uh, there was also Mar- uh, Marvel Megamorphs do you remember that? oh yeah yeah, so I, I was super busy at that point in my life, and then the next year I would have next to no work. <laughs> I mean, I guess unfortunately that is sadly the life of a freelancer sometimes too, right? It really is. Yeah, it's um, yeah. I mean, when they say feast or famine, um, it's a cliche, but it, it's a cliche for a reason. What? what uh, so I, I know we in our previous interview we kind of lightly talk, touched on kind of what we, it was like to kind of start the Mary Jane book. I mean, did you? When it started, did you have any idea that it would kind of be one of your calling cards? Because I feel like it is one of this, these big things that, you know, when I see Sean McKeever, like, I instantly think of that book because it was so charming and wonderful. And, and I guess, especially when comics felt like they were getting darker and angrier and, like, you know, kind of more depressing, it was this really kind of hopeful, you know, just nice-feeling book. And so, like, what did it feel like to you to write it? And did you have any sense of what it would kind of be for people? Well, um, I, I didn't have a sense of what it would be for other people, but I had a sense that um, that it would be um, that it would be a big deal for me because it was a perfect storm of, you know, I, I started out in comics writing a series called The Waiting Place, um, which we probably talked about last time, yeah. you know, and that was a teen drama book um, where I got to do, you know, where I got to really kind of make my stamp as a as a writer and, and show what I can do and and spend a lot of time with characters. And make it um, make it meaningful without having you know huge uh, stakes involved. And so when I was asked to do basically do the waiting place, but in the Spider-Man uh, universe, you know, not 
the waiting place was a little bit more towards you know PG thirteen slash R, but um, and this is you know meant to be for all ages. But I, I I just really just you know I was so excited for that opportunity to blend uh, the the um, the teen ensemble kind of stuff that I like to do with my favorite superhero. So I, I I knew it was going to be something special for me, and I knew that the out that what I made was going to be special. I didn't know if anybody else was going to um, really get into it. <laughs> now, how was it kind of like? I, I think we did kind of talk about the Genesis before, but like, how did it kind of come about? Because I think before you said that Takeshi was already attached before you were, right? Right, right. Yeah, I think C.B. Sabolsky had brought in um, Takeshi to draw it and brought in um, Mackenzie Cadenhead to to edit it, and then uh, and then they came to me. Um, um, you know, I don't know if they came to somebody before or anything like that, but um, you know, a lot of times they do, and you just don't hear about it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, failed pitch or what have you. Um, but they came to me and and uh, and asked me to to write it, and they they told me what the concept of it was. You know, it all it all was originally spearheaded by um, um, Alan Fine, um, an executive producer at Marvel, who thought you know here's the here's the successful popular character of mary jane who's you know in these these two wildly you know popular spider-man movies um let's you know let's do something with her you know and we can have a book ostensibly you know the idea you know i think marketing wise was let's have a, a book for for young girls um which was never what i i never really wrote it to be for young girls i think i i think that just kind of naturally my kind of writing would uh would kind of lend itself to that um so you know um so it came really yeah from the top down and and they knew that they knew who they wanted art wise before anything else um and Takeshi was the perfect choice obviously um and uh, and I was just I was glad to be asked to to join in given that Takeshi did already have involvement kind of prior to you coming on the project did you had you seen any sketches of his kind of prior to starting to write it? Like, did you already kind of know what the character's going to look like under his pencil, or how did that come about? You know, I, I it may well be, but I don't think... I, my recollection is I wasn't sent his artwork until I had already started kind of... Um, I had at least done one pitch document, you know, by, and we were... And they had, you know, said that, you know, they're going to... That, like, I, you know, I had the job... Mm-hmm. Um, by that point, by the time I saw anything at Takeshi's, but I mean, I, it, it's possible that he was already doing them because I mean, one of his first sketches was of Gwen Stacy, and obviously we didn't add her for quite some time. Mm. Now, when the first, I'm, I'm curious, just also, I mean, there was two miniseries, and then you had the, the ongoing. At the end of the first miniseries, like, did you guys already know you were doing another one? Because it felt like obviously you have like a cliffhanger, so to speak, yeah. because you have. You know, Liz finding you know Flash and, and MJ just having like a hug, but she's obviously going to you know misconstrue it, and so it obviously leads directly into the second miniseries. Did you already have one re- greenlit at that point, or what were the kind of immediate impressions or reception of the of the book? So initially, the the Mary Jane was intended to be an ongoing series. Um, that was during a period where Marvel didn't really announce if something was a miniseries or ongoing. Mm. Um, just because I think because miniseries just didn't have the appeal that they used to, um, you know, people aren't aren't as willing to um, take a 
take a shot at something if it's just for four issues. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas if it's something that is potentially ongoing, it you know it's going to launch better, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, th- th- and this is a fair amount of assumption on my end. This isn't something they told me, um, but um, so maybe I was writing issue three when they told me that it was going to be a four issue miniseries, and I'm like, oh god. Um, <laughs> and then, but by the time I was finishing issue four, they said, okay, we're going to do a second miniseries. Um, like that was, that was pretty quick after the cancellation um, because they they felt they had something but they they just needed a I think they just needed a relaunch to you know maybe we can do it as a series of mini series and it'll it'll have better legs that way you know because you get that little boost every new number one mm-hmm. um, and then and so that second one then was was intended to be a mini series um, and I can't remember at what point. During that miniseries, they said, let's do uh, Spider-Man Loves Mary Jane. Um, basically, they came to me and they said, we want to keep doing it, but we want uh, Spider-Man's name to be at the front of the title. Mm. And we were trying to come up with all these different names, like Spider-Man's Girlfriend, Mary Jane, <laughs> Spider-Man Presents Mary Jane, um, you know, Spider-Man and Mary Jane. And I go, how about Spider-Man Loves Mary Jane, half-jokingly? <laughs> and, and Mackenzie was like immediately, I love that. That's what we're using. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very fun title. Like, it, you know, it, it, it's, uh, and plus it has, you know, a fun an acronym. Like, I remember seeing that everywhere. Like, people, you know, kind of spell it all out. And, yeah, it, it, I always loved that title. It was a lot of fun. I pronounce it smooch. <laughs> now, a question, this is kind of a random aside, but it, it, we kind of briefly touched on this um, off podcast before we started. But it's interesting that... Um, in the entire run of the series, in terms of all the different ways it's been collected, it's never had a straightforward, regular trim, softcover, trade paperback reprinting. Um, it's had, very, you know, hardcover. It's had varying sizes of, of trade paperback. <laughs> Why do you think it's it kind of ends up in this kind of weird spot? Like, it, it's interesting because obviously at the time, you know, Marvel was definitely pushing this kind of newer digest style for, you know, the Marvel Adventures books and some of, like, the Spider-Girl books, etc. Uh, but those were really the only titles that ever really got that, you know, kind of smaller digest trim. And then, as we were kind of saying off-podcast, we have this this newer kind of budget-style trim, which is, again, smaller than your traditional trade, but much fatter, with a lot more story, but it's still not, you know, the full size. Do you think we'll ever see it? Or Because I think at one point, I think three or four years ago, there had been a complete collection that had been solicited, and then I think maybe retroactively was changed into this newer version that we've gotten. Right, like the the complete collection was intended to be that same trim size and everything. It's the it's the exact same book that it was meant to be. Okay, um, but they I think they kind of crossed their wires because they were doing those complete collections at the time, mm-hmm. and and I think the idea behind this this line of uh, six by nine, um, what they. I think Marvel weirdly calls uh, graphic novel dash trade paperback. Yes, that's um, right. But it's yeah, it's um, it's that kind of. I guess some manga is that size, um, but uh, but yeah, that that in betweener size between a regular comic size and and the digests, um, and and at some point somebody went, well, no, we're not going to call it volume one, volume two, volume three because we don't they don't give those volume numbers mm-hmm. uh, in that line for whatever reason probably because they want people to just pick up any single one of them um, although with Spider-Man Loves Mary Jane I don't know how well that would work um, I've, you know where, where the where the story breaks and stuff I don't 
I don't know how well it would work if you got just the middle one or you know something like that. Mm-hmm. But it would get. It would certainly, hopefully, if you liked it, it would get you to seek out the other ones. Kind of like you know how we used to be when we picked up our first issue of some comic book and went, oh, I got to go find a couple back issues of that. Exactly. But uh, but it was also collected in one other format, not all of it, but um, but the first two miniseries and then the first four issues of the ongoing were collected in a um, magazine size uh, saddle stitched presentation when Marvel had a deal with Target. Oh, um, and they were putting all these different collections of basically the tsunami books and but some other stuff as well into Target stores, and so they were like five dollar comic books that were magazine sized that had four issues in each one and those are really cool i have a copy of each of them um in my in my uh personal collection and they're they're really neat that's yeah i didn't even know that existed so it's nice to know there's yet another format that your book had somehow managed to find itself into yeah yeah they did that with with those and and my uh spider-man marvel adventures and uh sentinel volume one got or the first four issues of sentinel got in there and um, a couple other oh Marvel Age Fantastic Four as well so okay. that was neat to, to get all collect all those that were in that format mm-hmm. with um, both the Mary Jane miniseries and Spider-Man Loves Mary Jane obviously you have uh, one of my favorite parts of it was the, the kind of the naming convention on the on the names of the uh, chapters uh, which was, <laughs> the, was the, the blank thing uh, where did that kind of come from in terms of how you wanted to kind of name each installment that came from utter laziness Um, seriously like I called the first issue the real thing and I'm like oh I don't know what to call this issue and I you know and sometimes like something pops out at you and you're like oh that's a great title Um, but then we just kind of came up with uh, I think it was Mackenzie actually came up with the idea why don't we just call it the whatever that second one is uh, the money thing or that was the third one maybe but um um so the idea was just you know let's um, let's make the the word in the middle the um, the adjective the um, let's make that the theme of the issue you know mm-hmm. Mackenzie made it um, wanted you know to ha- have each issue have some kind of thematic um, framing of its own and I think that's what helped it work really well it was you know it was a good um, structural exercise for the book. And did it continue feeling like that all the way through, like being able to kind of structure it around that type of thing? Or like, did you find at times it was more trying to kind of come up with one? Or did you find it to be more of a, a fun, creative exercise? Um, no, it was a fun, creative exercise. But at the same time, yeah, sometimes it, um, I think a couple of them maybe were like, eh, it works-ish, you know. Um, but, they're, you know, sometimes there just isn't a perfect solution. So you just go with something that, you know, kind of captures the feel of the issue. I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but what was it like to introduce Gwen to the book? Because, I mean, I already enjoyed it, but then the, I've always loved Gwen. So the minute Gwen shows up, it just felt like it kind of, you know, naturally ratcheted up that, you know, soap, soap operatic tension. Uh, but it always felt like you had a lot of fun with her um, and because that's a character that we haven't really, you know, spent a lot of time with in kind of a modern context in any way because, obviously, when she passed away. So what was it like to, to you know, write a version of Gwen that kind of fit this aesthetic for this series? Well, that was pretty exciting. Um, I knew that I wanted to introduce her at a point that was like, you know, kind of came out of left field. You know, I think people knew it was going to happen eventually. Um, So I 
you know, I, I took care to kind of push it back a little bit until we got, you know, some some bits of business out of the way. And it worked out pretty well with um, with the with the book in terms of having to um, having to jump to the origin story, the two part origin, um, because um, Takeshi needed a break. Mm. Um, and we brought in uh, Valentin Delandro to draw those two issues. And it kind of um, it, it, it kind of gave us a great kind of suspenseful hook, you know. For sure. And and writing writing her in general, like you know, um, I mean, I, my big thing about Gwen is she was a genuinely nice person, and she didn't have a lot of like you know, she didn't have a lot of um, ill feelings toward other people in general. So that's that's what I really wanted to play with with this idea that there's a love triangle going on and, and, you know, Gwen doesn't really want to hurt anybody, but you know, she, um, but she genuinely likes Peter and what's she going to do about it? You know, like, um, so that was, that was a lot of fun to have her and Mary Jane interacting in that regard. Mm. Spider-Man and Liz Mary Jane number four has one of my, my favorite moments and that uh, you have uh, Peter show up when MJ's expecting it to be, you know, Spider-Man and he's like, don't go out with him, go out with me, which I was like, that's kind of heartbreaking. Like he's fighting with himself, um, you know, and I just always thought that that moment that, first of all, Takeshi just illustrated the crap out of it. Like it just, it, it's, the the acting there was so impactful, um, yeah, bringing, really bringing your script page. to life. The last page when when I saw the artwork, I was just heartbroken. <laughs> I felt bad for writing it, um, but also it's. I mean, you know, I feel like Peter almost gets what he deserves because that's that's one of the couple of shifty things Peter does in the book that that is. You know, I want I wanted him to be a little bit selfish, hmm. and that is kind of a, a selfish move to play on her because he's going to go out with her either way. But he, re- you know, he really does want her to like him for him and not for this um, fantasy version which eventually you know she gets around to that but um, but I thought that him giving her that choice I think you know I think he really thought he could he could make that work and you know kind of have his cake and eat it too that way um, and uh, you know um, it was it was a little bit shady <laughs> <laughs> but heartfelt coming from the right place Yes, exactly. I mean, kids make mistakes. For sure. Don't like, they? It, it never felt inauthentic to, first of all, a teenager, and second of all, someone in kind of an impossible situation. Like, he's, you know, coming to really enjoy this person, but, like, she's in love with a different version of him that he can't tell her. Like, that's, you know, very classic Spider-Man. Yeah, there's, yeah, he's always got the, like, he's always got a perfectly good excuse for why he isn't around when people need him and stuff, but he can never tell it. And it's, yeah, it's a kind of a take on that. Like even in that in the issue, I guess where they first kind of see each other after that, where she's kind of like trying to be like him, we'd be friends, and he sees Rocket Racer, I think, and has to like take off, and she thinks that he's just being kind of distant because of how she said no, and that's like you know pretty good misunderstanding, but very classic yeah, stuff. Yeah, that's a that's a really fun foil that I always I always liked it and hated it in the comics. You know, I'm like, oh, when is Peter gonna you know when is Peter gonna get uh, you know get what get you know, get things uh, right going in his in his uh, personal life. You know, and um, at the same time, it was it was fun to see his integrity mm-hmm. in in doing that. One thing I, I really appreciate about just the general sense of pacing throughout, you know, the two miniseries and the ongoing 
um, is that you have Peter at the beginning is just kind of in the background. Like, he's there, but he's not, like, as much of a major presence, and obviously he becomes one. But I did really appreciate that because it allowed the rest of the cast to really, you know, grow and flourish and have you really engage with them and what these versions of these characters are like. Like, no one's completely unlikable. Like, you know, the Flash Thompson here, you see why he does what he does. Um, He's, again, probably more likable than most versions. Yeah, yeah, that's what I, I, something I wanted to do with Flash is that, you know, um, it's fine that he's hot-headed and that kind of thing, and, and he's got an ego, um, but, I mean, he's got to care about stuff, too, you know, um, and uh, and I wanted to, to bring that part of him out, you know, he's protective of, of Mary Jane and Liz, and, uh, and you know, he cares about them, Um and I, I wanted that to be a part of his character, and then and then Takeshi brought in the cowboy hat, which I just thought was amazing. <laughs> was there a discussion of? Uh, I mean, obviously, when it starts, it's kind of nebulous, you know, kind of when this takes place in terms of what villains or if this is, you know, kind of quote unquote in prime continuity or not. Or could it be fudged to be so? But obviously, as it goes on, the villains, the characters you you bring in, they're very different. Um, was that you know a conversation with editors about you know just do your own thing, don't worry about it. You can have Rocket Racer. Uh, you know, characters that wouldn't have been around in the quote-unquote prime reality? Like, was that ever a concern, or were you just kind of like, who makes the most sense for this story? It was, it was, it was, it was neither of those, really. It was, it was just like, what characters from my childhood do I want to bring into this, um, for the most part? You know, so somebody like Rocket Racer or Big Wheel or, or um, uh, Mind Worm, you know, um, like those were car- one-off little little appearances that I wanted to have um, in terms of what characters to use I was I don't recall ever being told who I should or shouldn't use um, I think the one the one thing they wanted me to steer clear from for the most part was Green Goblin because hmm. I remember my early pitch had somewhere down the line you know for the original Mary Jane series like somewhere around you know the um, the third arc I think you know was going to heavily involve Green Goblin and 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 Harry and and you know be a little bit more like a like a like you know a 60s 70s Spider-Man uh, uh, superhero drama piece mm-hmm. um, and and that was you know that was shot down and with good reason you know um, they just didn't want it to be that much about Spider-Man I think the closest we got to it being that much about Spider-Man was the looter story arc. Um, uh, but but it wasn't really because you know because I made the looter secret origin uh, you know part of the high school so that so it tied in a bit more to Mary Jane it was her guidance counselor and so like you know that that gets a good reaction out of her and makes it about her again. Mm-hmm. What was it like? Kind of you integrate Firestars as this kind of other character. Um, first of all, like loved her interpretation because it was so much fun. Um, like. Was there anyone else kind of on your mind to kind of uh, fulfill that role, or was that kind of the only choice? Um, well, at first it was just you know I, I wanted to have like a um, like just a one-off bit. Um, the, um, I think it's an issue two or three of, of Spider-Man Loves Mary Jane, just to see for her to see Spider-Man with another girl, and you know redhead at that, um, you know to just kind of just kind of promote it provoked some jealousy out of her mm-hmm. um and i wasn't going to bring her back um or i had no plans to bring her back until i was planning um that uh that fourth arc and thought oh it'd be fun if they if spider-man and her were like dating um and and we did a little drama there with 
you know, and that's the other kind of shady part where, you know, um, I mean, Peter isn't dating MJ at the time, so that's okay. But I mean, you know, he, he's, he's playing a little fast and loose, um, with, with, uh, with the fact that he's dating Firestar while he's still in love with Mary Jane. But, um, but I, yeah, I, I just really like the character. I always have, you know, I'm a, I'm a, uh, amazing friends, uh, fan and I got to write that 25th anniversary comic with, uh, Iceman and Firestar and Spidey. Um, and so I, you know, I just keep wanting to use her. I mean, it's a good, definitely a fun character to use and, and again, it made a lot of, you know, thematic sense as well. Um, yeah, when I, when I, um, <clears throat> actually I'm not, I'm not sure if I told you this last time we talked, but, um, when I went, uh, DC exclusive for a couple of years, and when I came back, they asked me, the first thing they asked me is, will you do more Spider-Man Loves Mary Jane? And I'm like, well, I, I just don't have a story for it. But I do have, like, I do, I would like to do a Firestar miniseries set in that era mm-hmm. that would start before Mary Jane number one and end after Spider-Man Loves Mary Jane 20. And it takes, it you know, it takes her from, you know, from learning about her powers to, uh, joining the uh, Hellions to joining the X-Men to um, joining the Avengers, you know, and, and all this, you know, all these different uh, and the new warrior or the new warriors, then the Avengers. And then what I, I forget what the fifth issue was going to be, but um, um, oh, the fifth issue was actually, she joins the X-Men. So I don't know what, I don't remember exactly how all that fit. Oh yeah, that's five issues. Um, yeah, it was, it was uh, origin, um, uh, uh, Hellions, New Warriors, Avengers, X-Men. Um, and so that would have been a lot of fun. And Takeshi and Christina uh, Strain, the colorist, were both on board, but um, they weren't feeling it in terms of, you know, sales. Mm. So they, they passed on it. But that would have been a lot of fun to, to go back to that universe. And I've since come up with other stories I would do for Spider-Man Loves Mary Jane, but, um, but you know, who knows... Uh, you know, if, if that'll ever happen again. When you transitioned to working with David Hahn, what was that like? It was good. Um, I like David's work a lot. I think, um, I think it may have been kind of tough for David because, um, I know that he was, um, encouraged to, to try a style that wasn't, you know, that wasn't, uh, his regular thing. They wanted it to look as Takeshi as they could kind of, you know, and over the five issues, I think he, he found that middle ground that, you know, brought it more to his kind of style. Um, uh, but it was fun. I, I liked working with David. I'd work with him again in a heartbeat. One thing I, I do think of when I look at you know, both Takeshi's work and David's work is, you know, how integral uh, Christina Strand's uh, colors were. Um, to yeah, release... and, and when, yeah, and you look at Valentin Delandro's two issues too. Like, mm-hmm. Like, he's a very different artist from either of them. And and she kept it kind of unified. Yeah, there's just such a there's just a really lovely tone. As I said, like I, it's such a I don't know. It's just a it's a it's a friendly hug of a book. Like I reread it today in its entirety, and I didn't want to put it down because it was just a fun read. And these characters again are so familiar, but also you know they do things that you don't always expect. And uh, yeah, it was just really kind of fun to be able to go back through it. Do you do you own any of the original art from this series? I do. I um, um, when was this? Like three years ago, for my birthday, my um, I, I had seen that Takeshi had 
um, well, this was this would have been 2020 because I I was pretty much flat broke. I had gone eight months without uh, work, partly due to due to the uh, pandemic starting, um, and you know a lot of both video games and comic books just kind of went on hold, so I couldn't really find anything. And I saw Takeshi was selling the cover to number 20, um, and I I immediately DM'd him and said, please hold that for me. I don't have the money yet, but I'll get it. He goes, oh, well, you know, it's it's half off for you. And I'm like, oh, that's really nice of you. And and I, I happened to be telling this story to my mother, and she said, well, I'm going to buy that for you. Aww. Um So, yeah, so my mom bought me uh, issue 20. Um, I'll, I'll take a picture and send it to you. Um, and so I have that cover art in a... In a uh, in an honored place in my home. That's a gorgeous piece. I, I love the Spider-Man leg. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. Spidey taken off. I, th- I think that's a fantastic cover. I, you know, and the way Christina colored it too was really. Um, that's one of my favorite covers. That I like so many of those covers though. It's hard to pick one. I think my fa- I think actually my favorite though is 15, which is the cover with all of the different photographs of Spider-Man laid out, and in the middle. Is is a hand picking up the picture of Peter Parker, um, where I was kind of playing with the idea that that Gwen knew that he was Spider Man, but it was that Gwen knew that he was uh, uh, taking pictures of Spider Man. <laughs> but uh, but that that was I think that was the only cover that I actually suggested the layout or, or the uh, concept for. Um, you know, Takeshi every month would come up with. You know, three or four uh, thumbnails of of different ideas, and and some you know sometimes have to go back to the drawing board for a couple more. Um, uh, he, I mean, he, I think he just does such a great job of evoking emotion, even in the covers. Oh, a hundred percent. And now, was there ever any conversation about um, throughout the book about modifying Peter's look to not have glasses? Because obviously, in the original comics, he did, and then they got broken, and he just never replaced them. Um, was there ever any conversation about that? No, uh, no. I, I think they, I think they were fine with his look in there. It's very distinctive. Like again, the, he's. I mean, a lot of the characters just kind of look adorable. Like they're just like the, these these nice idealized versions of what these characters are, and there's just something very. I don't know, just very unassuming about his, which is, I guess, kind of the point, right? Like he is yeah. the wallflower, so he kind of blends into the into the into the background at times. But uh, especially in the first couple of series, where he literally is just in the background because uh, he's yeah. not really a, a main player, but it definitely works. Um, which which character do you find was you know the easiest voice for you to tap into, or that you had the the most fun writing? Like I felt like Liz felt like a lot of fun to write. Yeah, she was. She's you know pure it. She's the character that says all the things that Mary Jane might have thought at some point, but would never would. And she, you know, she's a great uh, uh, creator of conflict, and not not even really a creator of conflict. She just points out the stuff that that everybody's delicately trying to ignore, but maybe should be facing. You know, mm-hmm. um, and and her loyalty to MJ. I, yeah, I really loved writing Liz quite a lot because. That's also the character I think I had the most license with to, to sort of um, um, rework as as a different sort of character. Obviously, she's nothing like the uh, the six one six Liz Allen. No, but I mean, I would I would argue that that version doesn't actually have a lot of personality. Like she's more often defined by the people she's around or with, and less given agency of her own. Whereas again, in this series, she was just 
she was the she was a firecracker of personality. Yeah, it wasn't until later years that that she um, that she had more of a personality of her own. I th- and I think that that was just a that was a symptom of a lot of just comics in general and writing and just entertainment in general, right? Like a lot of characters were defined by the main character in that sense. Like you know, she's just around to be around and you know a potential love interest, but not not really given um any anything media of her own no how did you what was it like for you to approach a character like harry because harry is obviously like a very interesting legacy character and so you play with you know some of the self-doubt that he has and some of the kind of crippling issues and some of the things that maybe weren't even as prevalent in the early you know 60s versions of harry but obviously got kind of retroactively built into his character so kind of you know towing this line between you know, a confident person and also someone with a lot of demons. So what was it like to kind of balance that? Well, yeah, I was, I was more influenced, I I guess, by the uh, movie uh, Harry than, than the comics Harry, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and I, and I just had this idea of, of, you know, a guy who, who really wanted, uh, who has a lot, but he's, he's fairly humble, you know, I mean, he, I mean, he he can you know he can have a bit of an ego and stuff but it's not about his wealth when he is that way um or his privilege necessarily you know um and i you know i wanted him to be somebody who wanted to be liked but also um gets all his advice from a terrible man (laughs) (laughs) you know um and so uh and so i you know i think that that was um you know a fun way to to play him off and you know and as somebody who you know, like in the movies, you know, genuinely was a friend of Peter's. Mm. I, I did like the uh, times where he kind of then again did navigate kind of being friends with Flash and with MJ and with Peter and like kind of you know they're all more or less friends with each other. There's just momentary lapses where they're just not friends at all, unless you're Lindsay Layton, and then no one likes you. And then no one likes you, Lindsay Layton. <laughs> Where did that character come from? Because I, because I, I was like, she, she felt so realized and fully realized that I felt like, is this a character that has ever been around? And I, I think it was just created for the series, right? Yeah, it was really like I just I I had the idea for the um, for you know uh, Mary Jane to get involved in in the drama department, and I thought, oh, you know what, we we haven't had like a straight up mean girl. Um, like a duplicitous, you know, girl, and and um, and I thought that that would, like we, you know, it's like we have villains for Spidey, but we need villains for MJ, um, who are normal people, and that seemed, you know, like a like a good idea. Um, and I was a I was a theater major in college, and I'm, I'm not saying I'm basing it on any um, anyone I went to college with, um, or even you know anybody I knew in high school drama, but. Um, but just the idea of it being drama, I felt like I'd be a little meta and, you know, make her dramatic, too. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, um, you know, it's how I am with characters. They just kind of, I mean, I think you can tell it when it's characters that are more from whole cloth with me, um, which Liz, I would put in that category, is um, is that, you know, they, they kind of become fully realized um, either early on or, or a little bit into writing. Um, and I and I just have a sense of innate sense of who they are, um, and and you know usually can navigate that with the dialogue pretty well. 
One thing uh, which is always fun is, uh, you know, when people write Spider-Man is you get to use the humor. And so it felt even more fun in the book like this because when you got to lean into the Spidey humor, um, because it's, you know, not as high stakes a book. It's not as serious. It's just generally a a fun tone anyway. Uh, What was it like kind of being able to, you know, drop in fun Spidey dialogue where he's not always funny or just more awkward. But again, it feels very apropos of the character. Yeah, I like I was kind of splitting the difference uh, between like you know he, he's like um, Paul Jenkins uh, when he was writing uh, Peter Parker Spider Man like he intentionally made all of Spider Man's jokes like really bad you know <laughs> uh, which I thought was a lot of fun but like I wanted to, to like dial that back a little bit but kind of do that where it's like it's just his you know like when you, it's not like you know some of the other I, you know, and I think I've written Spider-Man comics like this where, like, when he's Spider-Man, he comes up with, you know, these good wisecracks and clever Bon Mots and stuff. And I'm like, well, he's, you know, Peter and Spider-Man are the same. I don't think he, you know, like in this version at least, he's not a different person really when he's got the mask on. It's not, you know, I mean, it's the same thing in, in the Marvel Universe, but at the same time, like, like there's always this kind of thing where like when he puts the mask on he's free to be to not be labeled as Peter Parker and he's he can be a bit more confident, you know? Mm-hmm. But I, I just like the idea that like he's still a teenager and he still is like, you know, kind of just fumbling through, you know, words <laughs> like me right now. One thing um I, I was curious about what it was like for certain dialogue is uh, in the third, I believe it's the third issue of the Homecoming series when you have MJ and Liz go outside and MJ just says, "Hey boys, you just hit the jackpot." Um, and part of me was like, "Well, you waited seven issues to say it." Like you know, like that's such an iconic thing for her to say. Um, was was there any push and pull about using a line of dialogue that because it is so identifiable with the character? Was there any kind of discussion with editorial about having her say stuff like that as kind of a wink and a nod to the audience, or were you kind of holding it back, or was it just felt like the right natural moment? Well, yeah, you know, I always tend to hold that stuff back, kind of like I was saying with Gwen and kind of, you know, and like you were uh, mentioning, you know, that we don't really even get to know Peter until the end of Homecoming, Um, that that when there's stuff that's kind of expected, I don't, you know, I think it's I think it's too easy to just to just get right to it. You know, Um, I don't think and I don't think that that's fun. It feels kind of manufactured at that point it feels kind of phony hmm. so i want yeah i wanted the moment to be right and and that was a great moment because it, you know it's not even mj saying it wasn't it i thought it was her saying it oh was it you know what i was just looking at it hold on let me go back to it the, i think the, the the balloon makes it look like it's her okay but it actually right it'd be funnier if it wasn't let me just see yeah no. i thought maybe liz was saying it but I, but I haven't read that stuff in, you know, 15 years. That's fair. I, I read it today, so <laughs> <laughs> I might know it a little bit better at this point. Yeah, no, it does look like it is MJ. Okay, yeah. But, but you're right, I was looking for the right place, not, not you know, ASAP. I'm, one thing I'm curious about, and just in terms of um, you know the, the, the acting that the characters do, which is obviously a Takeshi thing, but um, it felt like as the series progressed that Peter's, and this is going to sound like a really inside baseball question, but that Peter's um, wardrobe felt a little bit more, I don't want to say hip per se, but it felt like a little less square than maybe where he started the series. Was that ever a conversation that you and Takeshi had about kind of what the, the clothing dynamics would look on, on these characters? Not really. Um, I think that was that was all, the, all Takeshi. Um, 
you know, and I also love that that you know you were mentioning his glasses. I I thought it was a that was a good foil for the fact that he had a he actually had a pretty cool haircut for the time. Oh yeah, I, like it's probably kind of the, the cooler version of, of Peter that we've seen. Yeah, so if he if he didn't have glasses, he'd look co- too cool, right? But um, but yeah, I, I, you know, um, no, I, I guess I was never really conscious of it. Um, you know, I, I guess in the beginning he was wearing more kind of sweaters and stuff, maybe. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, but yeah, Mr. I mean, Keshi and, and David kind of started to, or maybe more modernize his uh, his wardrobe a little bit, and even MJ felt like her wardrobe became a little bit more expressive and open as well. Yeah, I, I think. Um, yeah, two things on that, like like the um, like Peter himself, like I, I never felt like he should be dressing like a nerd because I, I feel like in you know two thousand in the two thousands like that wasn't so much a thing, mm-hmm. um, like the way it used to be, and you could you know you could do the sweater vest uh, <laughs> button up shirt uh, wallflower kind of you know vibe, um, and I and I, I also think that's not terribly subtle, and I, I prefer subtlety when I can. You know when I can manage, um, and then the other thing is that the secret weapon in the clothing design is Christina Strain. Mm. She would actually go in and make like if you see patterns on any clothing, she she made those. Oh really? And she would keep it. Oh, unless it was like an actual logo or something. But it, but yeah, if there was like a patterned um, dress or or outfit, like um, except for like the sequins and stuff, she would she would actually design that multicolor um, look. Wow, that's pretty. Yeah, impressive. she she brought she brought so much to it, and you know what about her? Like she was, su- she's such a talented colorist, and she gave up coloring, went to went to college, went to school for uh, screenwriting, and now she's you know she's she's uh, working on TV shows. She's had a movie on Netflix. Wow, and she's she's a, she's a woman of many talents, and she's a good mom too. So wow, that's amazing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, a character I really enjoyed, especially in the. I, I don't think he appears as much after the first two miniseries, but uh, just your guidance counselor, Mister Limke. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed the character because I felt like it did. He almost felt like a. And this is because I've been watching it with my son lately, but he felt like he kind of took over the the Mister Feeny role of Bo Meets World, like you know that kind of not as old, obviously much younger, but you know this uh, you know this this wise older person who's trying to help and you know have some wisdom. I just really liked that. You know, how that character kind of related and tried to interact with the characters. I'm too old for that reference. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> I mean, I just referenced um, a show yeah, that ran from like show, but, um, from '93 to 2003. But yeah, yeah, I was, yeah, I was, uh, I was not. Uh, you know, that was not like my my jam. No. The- <laughs> but uh, um, yeah, I think I, with Mr. Linky, first of all, I na- I named him after I I. I'm surprised I never got in trouble with anybody for this, but I like I tend to take people I know, take their names and and uh, make them characters in, <laughs> in my comics. And Jeff Limke is um, was my uh, consulting editor on the Waiting Place for a while, um, and he's a, he's a pal and um, and so I used his name. Um, uh, and he's a teacher, which probably gave him you know like he probably got some you know. <laughs> Something you know, like maybe a kid read it or something. I don't know. He's never told me that, but uh, but uh, yeah, I, I wanted to have um, you know that character because um, it's obviously. I mean, anytime you you have a, a character talking to a psychiatrist or psychologist or counselor, like like you get to delve into some stuff. And I 
you know, I tend to shy away from it just because it's kind of overdone um, and it's more interesting to find other ways to do that. Um, but at the same time, like, you know, since I was doing it, 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 it was a great way to kind of uh, color how he's, you know, telling MJ, giving her advice. Um, so when it turns out he's uh, the looter, it, it kind of clicks, you know. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what, what do you think, I mean, the, the legacy of the series has been and for you as, as personally and also like how what you hear about it from fans? Like what do you think the legacy of Spider-Man Loves Mary Jane is? Well, um, I mean, I hear about it from fans more than anything else I've written. Um, um, I think, um, you know, I think um, I've heard people say it was ahead of its time, and, th- and there's probably some truth to that in terms of at Marvel, you know, because mm-hmm. I think that they've gone and done, gone on to do a lot of books that have some of those elements, um, but they are a little more, you know, straight up superhero, you know, like Ms. Marvel and stuff. Mm-hmm. Not that I'm saying that, that those creators have read uh, Spider-Man Loves Mary Jane, but, you know, I think that that was, I think that Marvel was ahead of their time in terms of thinking about doing books like that and now it's uh more accepted and more acceptable mm-hmm. um and so i think there's a lot more of that kind of writing going on um and uh you know other than that i mean um you know hopefully i i still hold out hope that that someday they'll come to me and say hey you want to do a you know a limited series or something like that i'd, I'd love to do a little more um but so i so i hate to say legacy because i wanted to you know i wanted to keep on mm-hmm. going but um but yeah I, I, you know this book would have sold very differently had it come out 10 years later i think um and and quite well you know i mean i think the fact that i you know as i said they brought it back in this you know kind of newer you know quasi digest format a few years ago does speak to them thinking that there is still an audience obviously and that they wanted to you know have something that would you know, kind of fit a niche that they're creating with some of those kind of modern books, as we said, that this might be ahead of its time in that respect, but at least it gets to be on the bookshelf next to them. Um, You know, and and the fact that, you know, there is still an audience for it. I mean, I would imagine the fact that they didn't just publish one of them, but they published, you know, the entire series in these three volumes does speak to some, you know, someone out there knows that there's value here. Yeah, yeah. I don't don't know how how well it's doing in the bookstores um, because they... You know the way Marvel works is is they they pay you royalties based on the print run. Mm-hmm. Um, I know they haven't been reprinted, you know, um, but hopefully it's doing well for them. Um, you know, and oh, the you know, speaking of the legacy, the latest, the the most recent, uh, uh, I guess, um, not to having worked on it was um, that an editor at Marvel, Mark Basso, came to me um, and asked you know if I would write a Wolverine romance comic for their digital app. And uh, and he asked me that because I wrote Spider-Man Loves Mary Jane. And so this is my first uh, Marvel work in 11 years. <laughs> wow. Yeah. But so, uh, you know, it was on the strength of that book that he reached out to me. So, you know, it, 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 you know, it still means a lot to me. It's, it's on my shelf. I look at it all the time. Um, I still think about it. Whenever somebody posts um, panels of it um, and I happen to, come across it on social media you know it just makes me feel warm inside 
No, I have an awkward question about Spider-Man Loves Mary Jane, because obviously there was a season two, which obviously did not have your involvement. How did that make you feel at the time? Because obviously it was your baby, and it was something that you created at the beginning, and you were, you were kind of nurturing it through. And I guess, as you said, you were, had your DC exclusive. So what was that for like to you to kind of see that on the outside? Well, I had kind of, you know, at that point, um, even before I went DC exclusive, I, I had resigned from the series um, because I, I had just kind of gotten burnt out on it. Um, you know, no fault of, of, of David or, or Nate Cosby, the editor. Um, I just, you know, it, a book like that where every issue kind of needs to have its own theme and be its own thing and to a certain degree, even though it's part of a larger five-part story, um, it was a bear to, to come up with. And, mm-hmm. and I also, at that time, wasn't getting much work. And, you know, like I, like I had said, 2006 was a, not a great year for me. Um, I think I mentioned that off. Um, so they don't, they won't know what that means, but 2005, I had a ton of work. And then 2006, I had Spider-Man loves Mary Jane and that was almost it. And I, and I think I just kind of got, um, I got, I was getting frustrated as well. Um, and so when they told me Terry Moore was taking over, um, that blew my mind. I didn't, I couldn't, you know, I didn't imagine that, that they would get, you know, somebody of his caliber. So I thought that was awesome. Okay. Yeah. I, I yeah. just, I know. Did you read it? I mean, obviously some people sort of say that that kind of thing is like, you know, checking in on that girlfriend. You don't really want to. <laughs> yeah, I read it. Um, it's a, you know, it's a very different, um, it's a very different sort of style, um, narratively, um, you know, and I, I, I feel like it's not really a continuation of, of what I had done. I think it's Terry's thing, and that's that's cool. Now, I, I'm almost kind of out of the time I kind of had a lot of, but I, I did want to have a little bit of discussion about Gravity, because I love Gravity. Well, um, you know who Gravity's favorite superhero is? Who's that? It's Spider-Man. <laughs> so he's appropriate. Absolutely. Well, I, first of all, I, I don't know if I said this last time, but I, I just want to thank you for Gravity because it's just such a, a fantastic book. And I remember reading it when it first came out. And again, as you said, like Marvel was definitely trying things with new heroes at the time, and this was a brand new hero. And that reading it now within the context of what it was made, it kind of feels like, you know... Um, the next Nova, you know, Nova was the the next Spider-Man of the seventies. And this feels like that's what gravity was. And I just, I'm so sad that we never got more of him. Um, that, and that you didn't yeah, get that right. is exactly, that is exactly the origin of, of, of him. I mean, like, like there was Nova and then there was speedball mm. and we were, and I don't know if there was something in the nineties as well that tried to be a Spider-Man, but, um, but that's Maybe what Dark we Hawk? did. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he does fit that mold. Um, and so we, um, Mike Norton and I, like we were big Spider-Man fans in the eighties, you know, in the seventies. And we wanted, you know, we missed the Spider-Man who was a, you know, a single college kid, um, you know, with, without two nickels to rub together, somehow <laughs> still living, having his own apartment, um, and, and, you know, dating different girls and stuff like that. And, and, and thought that would be a great formula um, for a new character, um, so we could tell those kind of stories. I mean, he he just I mean, the whole series just feels so fresh and exciting. And again, uh, Mike's artwork is so perfect. Like it, I just can't even imagine anyone else having done that book because uh, it's so full of life and you know, kind of youthful exuberance. Like it just it's uh, it's a tremendous amount of fun. Um, is it 
reprinted much anymore. I mean, I know that they had the, again, the kind of the digest style that we had back in the day with Spider-Man Lives Mary Jane and Gravity was there. Has it ever had other reprintings? It has never been reprinted since the digest. Um, it hasn't been in print since 2005. Uh, which makes me sad. That makes um, me sad too. Like it's it's yeah. it's worthy of people you know being able to discover it because again it's yeah it's a lot of fun. It is on the it is on the Marvel Unlimited app, so at least there's that. Okay, uh, that's but something. I, I sure I sure would like to like to see it in a um, in a regular seven by ten trade paperback format. Mm-hmm. Now, do you think just like with Spider Man Loves Mary Jane, was he just ten years too early? No, I I, I think I mean it's hard to say. But I think at the time, like you said, Marvel was trying a lot of things, and I think maybe all the things got in the way of all the other things. Mm. Um, and nothing—I don't think that any of the new characters really. Maybe maybe I'm going to kick myself or or stick my foot in my mouth, but I don't think any of those characters really uh, became anything big. Got Rania would probably be the biggest. I guess so. Yeah. It's funny because for a while it felt like Gravity was on his way. Like, you know, he was, you know, Dwayne McDuffie did use him in FF, um, you know, and you, you got to bring him back from killing him and beyond. Uh, you know, at least, yeah. he, at least he was places, you know, and, and then you got to write him in what, Youth and Revolt? Like, it felt like he was on his way back, and then then that was it. Yeah, I think maybe it's just uh, me and Dwayne and Jeff Parker who liked him. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, well, and, and Dan Slott. Dan would put him in. Uh, the occasional Amazing Spider-Man, which which makes me so happy. <laughs> That's true. I mean, it's one of those things, too, where I wonder, you know, when you have people breaking into, into the industry that became fans in the mid-2000s, maybe that's maybe that's when he comes back, right? Like that's Yeah, maybe. Because we maybe, saw a lot you know, of that even now with, like, you know, Ben Riley as Spider, you know, with Spider-Man again. Oh, yeah. You know, if you just wait long enough, these things often do boomerang around. Maybe that's all it takes is that someone finally breaks in and they're like, you know what, I've always loved Gravity. I need to, draw, you know, do the next Gravity thing. Or maybe he calls you and says, hey, I got this Gravity idea. I need your blessing. Right. Well, I mean, yeah, they're doing a ton of like '90s stuff, and they're bringing in like you know some of the original creators and stuff like uh, J.M. DeMatteis and mm-hmm. and uh, uh, well, Peter David's doing the new Fantastic Four thing. But um, um, I know there's been a couple others recently, the Venom Lethal Protector, mm-hmm. um, you know, stuff like that, which I think is really cool. Um, and yeah, maybe in ten years they'll they'll want to do some new Gravity. I would, Mike and I, I know, you know, would like to do gravity now <laughs> well that's what I was going to ask so, like you know does does uh, you know does he carry the same affinity for that period of you know of your lives and working on this and would he do it again I mean I, I can't speak for him but yeah I mean he, he has a lot of love for that book still and he, he actually I think he has more of a drive um, right now than I do to want new gravity stuff out there I think he sees an opportunity with him Interacting with a lot of the newer characters like Ms. Marvel, hmm. um, you know, kind of being like the like the the latest like the youngest non rookie, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> and but but still being gravity and like making mistakes and and you know getting uh, you know possibly uh, you know like on the, being on the wrong side of accidentally being on the wrong side of like some identity politics and stuff like that. <laughs> It would be fun, yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I, 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 Mike, Mike always tells me he has ideas. He won't, um, he won't take it further than that. Maybe he's gonna, you know, if he can't do it with gravity, he'll save it to do something of his own with it. But, uh, but yeah, I know Mike's really driven to one day do more gravity. But, um, um, but he's pretty busy right now with all kinds of stuff. 
Well, for sure. Now, Mackenzie was your editor on Gravity as well. Was there just some uh, secret sauce with you and Mackenzie working well so well together? Yeah, yeah. Me and Mackenzie just, we became instant friends. We just really, um, you know, we had, I think we had mostly the same ideas. I think that, you know, we definitely butted heads on certain, um, you know, trivial kind of stuff. Um, But in like that, you know, what's best for the story I don't get this kind of way and you know and trying to figure that stuff out but but um but by and large like we we really meshed well and and Nate Cosby was her assistant and then became the editor uh of the book and you know and and he he was basically on the same page as well and um I you know it really was one of those deals where up from from Mackenzie all the way down you know all the way I don't want to say down, but down the assembly line at least mm-hmm. to uh, Christina. Like we were all on the same page um, for the most part, and and really like like she, you know, the thing about Mackenzie is she would give challenging notes, which which I always dreaded, but were always good for the book, mm-hmm. um, you know. And she's she's still a sweetheart of a human being. That's good. A question about gravity, um, just like with uh, Spider-Man loves Mary Jane. Do you have any of the original art? Yes, I have. Um, I have one page from number one. Um, I, I think it's the first appearance of Black Death. Oh, that's um, a nice page. Yeah, and then um, and then I have the cover to number three, which Mike gave me um, and uh, wrote a nice uh, inscription on it. That's nice. Yeah, um, those are and those are hanging up in. Yeah, well. Sorry, Mike, but they're not hanging up in as nice a place as uh, as Takeshi's cover. But but they're also like alongside two of Mike's pieces from uh, uh, pages from Marvel Adventure Spider Man. Okay. Um, a question actually I had about the, the first time we kind of get to see Gravity, and he you know punches Rage. Um, what, <laughs> did you have to go through like some thought processes on which character would be the right one for him to not realize was a hero and like come in and, and punch him in the face? Like, or was Rage always your go-to? No, I, I put a little thought into it, and I, and I thought, who looks you know who are like one of these newer characters who looks like he could be a villain? Mm. And he's got like the spikes and stuff. And the and the like almost like goalie mask. So he kind of has that. And and it wasn't until I actually wrote it that I'm like, oh, we can all we can also like be like, is this a black thing? (laughs) 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 Which was which was a fun way to to make it even more embarrassing for Gravity. And I guess it makes sense too that you know Gravity, as someone from Wisconsin, would know the big name people. You know, like he wouldn't know. You know, if he was living in New York, he might know some of the new warriors. But as someone from Wisconsin, he knows the big names. He doesn't know the other names. Right, right. And I mean, as, you know, and as we kind of established, like, he's not a huge superhero fan. He's a big fan of Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. But it's his roommate, Frog, who knows who everybody is. You know, and, you know, he was going to be kind of his guy in the chair. And, you know, <laughs> like, like, you know, without knowing he's gravity, like, oh, yeah, this guy, he's this and this, you know. Um but uh, never got to really do that with with him. But uh, but yeah, I mean, um, it's easy for him to to screw up. You know, he even screws up. Uh, you know, it's actually funny. Like um, Mike called um, Spider Man Homecoming uh, an unofficial Gravity movie. It's like <laughs> the, scene, the scene where he where he's helping a guy with his car, and it turns out he's he's breaking in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you know, that's that's a very Gravity thing to happen. 
That's true. And it just keeps messing up that entire uh, that entire movie. <laughs> um, one thing I always really like, just to, in terms of uh, Mike's cover to Gravity Number One, is I don't know why, but I just like uh, heroes with backpacks. Um, so I just like that he's you know flying with a backpack and he's got a suitcase with like you know the clothes swinging out of it. It just feels like it encapsulated a lot about the character in just one image. Uh, you know this guy who's a superhero, but also not really that great at it yet. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's you know it gives it gives him a very grounded uh, sensibility. Absolutely, and it, should, it, it kind of and and the the suitcase is just kind of saying this this guy's you know this guy's pretty. Uh, wet behind the ears. <laughs> well, especially the I love New York sticker. New York trouble. <laughs> yeah, he's got the I love New York sticker. Like it feels like a like a like a tourist. Yeah, yeah. Well, again, so first of all, thank you so much for agreeing to talk about both these books with me. It's been uh, very enjoyable, and um, you know, it's been very uh, you know just gratifying to be able to first of all tell you how much this work has meant to me because I love both these books. Uh, they meant a lot to me when I was younger, and still do, and they're still excellent reads. So I really do recommend that everyone uh, go check out Gravity on Marvel Unlimited, and also you can pick up Spider-Man Loves Mary Jane in these. Uh, what did you say? GN TPS TPS or TPS <laughs> yeah. whatever. Um, but yeah, they're, they're tremendously enjoyable. Um, what else do you have kind of on the horizon that we can look forward to besides, as you mentioned, your, your upcoming Marvel work? Yeah. Um, yeah, that'll be out. Um, it's called X loves the Wolverine and it's a six part Wolverine romance comic that starts in, I think November. Okay. Um, I've got, um, uh, another comic book, uh, mini series I'm working on. That's, um, I can't even say who it's for. And I'm working uh, on a video game, um, a AAA RPG um, at a company called Archetype Entertainment um, that is owned by Wizards of the Coast. And I'm, I'm writing that under uh, lead writer Drew Carpishan, who uh, was the lead writer of the Mass Effect series. So that'll wow. give you some idea of what we're looking at. Um, and that'll I, I don't I don't have any kind of. Uh, release date for that because we're you know still writing it. <laughs> now the the upcoming Marvel book, so that's in Marvel Infinity. Or is that one of the Infinite Scroll series? Yes, yeah, it's one of the Vertical Scroll series, which has been a lot of fun to to uh, experiment with. Now, who do you, is there an announced artist that we can mention? Or yeah, it's uh, Dio Nevis. Okay. Um, uh, he, you know, um, I don't have uh, his credits handy, but uh, but he's doing a great job so far. Now, what is it like? I'm always very curious about this. So I've talked with Kelly Thompson about her work on, um, oh my God, Jeff, uh, Jeff the Land Shark, was, which was a Marvel Infinity book. I've talked with Jim right. Zeb about the, uh, the the history of Wolverine series he did. I'm very just curious about how you pace things out in the scroll format because it's similar to a page term, but it is different. Um, and obviously a lot kind of goes into how your artist is able to portray that as well in terms of how they keep kind of the action going. So how do you interacted with that that kind of different method because it is different right well you know one thing I, that I wish I could do that that I haven't quite figured out the right format to do it yet is to you know explain um, you know like explicitly where where the uh, balloon placement should happen because mm-hmm. um, when I'm writing it I have a de- an idea of my head of like okay this stuff is above this panel and this stuff's below this panel mm-hmm. um, this stuff's within this panel but it's kind of it'd be really clunky to try to um, um, to try to indicate that in a script um, so I'm you know I'm thinking about ways to do that but um, but other than, other than that um, you know it is about like, um, smaller balloons, um, you know, fewer words per balloon. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you have more real estate 
in between panels um, to use to put those balloons and uh, and it's you know you have to think about ways to either come up with something you know something novel um, that uses the scrolling format or you know um, like you were suggesting you know you can do a tall panel that as you're scrolling like there's a big reveal at the bottom of that panel mm-hmm. um, and I've done you know I've done all that stuff um, you know I've tried to do at least one um, one fun reveal um, like that every issue so far. It's cool to see how the form can be challenged with that. Like I remember, um, similar but different. Obviously, you know, Comicsology has their guided view, and so a couple, I guess, a year or two ago, there was Edge World by Chuck Austin and Pat Olive. And I, what I loved about that, and I talked to both of them about this, is that you know they really wrote it for the guided view. So they were every panel was a page turn, as opposed to a traditional comic where you you know your eyes would just kind of naturally scan the rest of the page. You try not to, but your eyes just gonna you know see things on the page. Whereas they found that they knew that a lot of their audience, because you know obviously they used the comicsology guided view a lot, they knew that people would just be going but panel by panel, so they could shock people and surprise people in a way that they couldn't on a traditional printed page because. You know, your eyes would just kind of spoil the surprise for you. Um, so, I, and so I'm really intrigued by again different ways of manipulating the medium with these new electronic means. Yeah, it's it's you know you want to try to write for the for where it's going to end up. And you know I've had people ask me like, well, so are you kind of writing it with an eye towards it being uh, possibly you know put out in print? And I'm like, no, it's not. It's not the format it's made for. You know, I want it to be as good as possible in the format it's meant for. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and so that's what I'm doing. And it, you know, it's the same thing with. Um, that's why I loved writing uh, uh, comic strips. You know, same thing. You get a. You know, it's a it's a, a page turner every one to three panels. You know, mm-hmm. um, and that was pretty fun um, to do that as well. And yeah, so I'm. You know, I'm I'm always interested in trying out these different uh, comic book storytelling forms. Is is the challenge? Uh, I mean, like obviously, it's it's kind of fun to try something new, but it's also challenging. Uh, how do you find it's more fun than challenging or at the beginning, was it more of a challenge to kind of reframe your mind in terms of how this was going to be presented? No, I think it's been more fun than challenging. Um, I think I, I, you know, between, uh, the infinity, uh, format and webtoon, I, I familiarized myself enough, you know, in the past years, uh, to understand, um, you know, what it's about, but I'm also not, I'm not so beholden, to the format that I'm going to um, I'm going to cater the plots the overall story to it like the overall story is what matters the most For you sure. know and uh, and I'm not going to go well you know how do we what's a story that can have us you know doing cool scroll stuff all the time it's like well I'll come up with a story and then I'll you know try to work out novel ways to do a scroll and I'll you know I'll suggest stuff in the script and I'll say this may not work at all <laughs> <laughs> you know and and it's just a matter of working with the editor and the and the artist um, and innovating now, I would imagine like something like this might at times ask more in terms of collaboration and kind of work, as you said, kind of working with your editor and working with your artist. Um, you know, has that been a lot more like in terms of kind of going back and forth on and kind of seeing things? And like when you see some of the art come in, does it make you kind of go back and reach, you know, change your script more so than you would normally? Um, well, I haven't had to um, to do a lettering pass yet on on one of those, so um, I'm not quite at that point yet. Okay. Um, but it, but I mean, I you know, I always um, try to take a critical eye to it when when before the letterer gets there, so they don't have to redo anything or redo as little as possible. Um, 
but uh, but I expect yeah there's going to be a, a bit of a learning curve there and and um, you know th- but uh, by and large uh, Mark uh, the editor has been good about um, spotting things that you know that are going to need adjustment um, and some you know with the way the format works a lot of that can be done just by expanding space between uh, panels and things like that for sure. All right, well, Sean, thank you again so much for, for taking the time today. I'm really excited for, to, uh, to see your upcoming work. And, uh, again, people should check out uh, the books that we've talked about today. They are so much fun, and, uh, you know, all these years later, they're still giving a lot of enjoyment. Well, thank you, Adam, and, and congratulations on, on nearing uh, 1,000 issues. You've outlasted, uh, or you've, you've outrun Amazing Spider-Man. <laughs> good job. For now. <laughs> and, and good luck to you on whatever is next. Perfect. Thank you so much.